ask you to take your Bibles. We're looking in the book of Isaiah. It's in the Old Testament. First of the major prophets, Isaiah. And we're going to be looking in chapter 46. So Isaiah 46. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. You get to Isaiah for Jeremiah. Continuing our series, we started uh, last week, Know What You Believe. And we looked at the Bible last week. And if you missed that, you wanted to come back, go back to that. Uh, it is on podcast. You can listen to that on Spotify or on the Apple Podcast. You can look that up, Stony Point Podcast with Jim England. Today, we're looking at the attributes of God. We're going to pick up here in Isaiah 46. We're starting in verse 5. It says, To whom... Will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we should be alike? We're talking about God here. They lavish gold out of the bag, weigh silver on the scales. They hire a goldsmith and he makes it a god. They prostrate themselves. Yes, they worship. They bear it on the shoulder. They carry it. They set it in its place. It stands from its place. It shall not move. Though one cries out to it, yet it cannot answer, nor save him out of his trouble. Remember this. Show yourselves, men. Recall to mind, O you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God. There is no other. I am God. There is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning... From ancient times, things that are not done yet, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Let's have prayer again. Lord, will you bless this time. Help us have wisdom and understanding, and may your spirit minister today. We thank you for each person that's here, that's each person that's listening. May you bless, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen heard a story, I can't remember if I shared this before or not, but I heard this story about a little boy that uh, dog had puppies, and so he called his uncle up and he said, my dog's had puppies, you might want to come and see them, they're atheist puppies. Well, his uncle didn't believe, and he said, well, I'd like to see that. So the next week, he showed up. He said, I'd like to see those atheist puppies. He said, well, they're not atheists now, they're Christians. He said, well... You said last week they were atheists. He said, yes, but now they've opened their eyes. Well, you know, uh, A.W. Tozer said this. He said, our belief about God is the most important thing about us. It translates into our attitudes and our actions. In other words, it makes the difference in the way that we see things. It's almost like we got our eyes open. That's what we're talking about, knowing God, knowing about God. So it's important that we stop, even us today, and remember God and who He is. Here Isaiah is writing to God's people. He's calling them to stop and to think. Look what he said again in verse 8. He said, remember. See the word recall again in verse 9. I want you to remember. See, they have forgotten. Forgotten who God is. Forgotten what God's about. Now, some people might think, 
It's kind of silly because back in verse 5, they began talking of verse 6 about them making a God, taking gold and silver and making a God, carrying it around with them, putting it on a shelf, but yet they worship it. And you may think it's silly, but many people do it today. And they may not do it with gold and silver, but they have allowed the world to shape God into their own image. And so instead of us following after God, we're wanting God to be like what we want. And so that's in essence then we're creating our own God. So it is important for us to be able to go back and just say, what is it that we believe? What is it that we really know about God? Let's get this right. That's what Isaiah the prophet is calling God's people to do. You better rethink things. You better remember past testimonies, past history, what you've seen, what you know about God. It matters. So let's just start this morning, that being the case, and let's start off by looking at some foundational attributes about God. Now, other people may have some different things that they would list, but we're going to list three things that we want to look at here. Foundational attributes about God. And here's the first one, and that is God is eternal. He's self-existing. Many people, their child's going to ask you, where did God come from? Who made God? God has always been. Adrian Rogers said 6,800 times in the Bible, the word Yahweh is used for God. Yahweh. We call it Jehovah, translated Jehovah, but in Hebrew it has no vowels. They didn't like to even use that word. 6,800 times. Exodus, you'll find it in Exodus 3, 14. Moses asked God, when I come to people and I'm talking to them on your behalf, and they ask me, who is your God? Who do I say that you are? He said, you tell them, I am. That's what Yahweh means. I am. Basically, he's just saying, I've always existed. There is no beginning, no end. Paul Little, who wrote a book called Know What You Believe, and another one called Know Why You Believe, who traveled with... uh, InterVarsity around college campuses with a college professor. Unfortunately, he died young in an automobile accident. But Paul Little said this about God. He said, in most things, there's a cause and effect. In other words, you can see the effect. And you said, what caused that? Scientists, that's what they look for. So when they're looking for uh, at the planet's creation, they'll say, they see the effect. They say, there's something that caused it. And they'll come up with some matter. But what caused God? You see, with God, he he goes on. This is what Paul Little says. There is no effect. He does not require a cause. In other words, he's uncausable because he's always been. That's how come Genesis starts off. It says, in the beginning, God. So before there was time, there was God. Before there was creation, there was God. Before there's nature, there's God. You see, nature's not eternal. The earth's not eternal. Creation's not eternal. But God is. God has always been. He's always existed. 
God is self-existent. He's dependent upon no one. God is eternal. Now, not only is God eternal, but here's another foundational attribute. God is one, but in three persons. It's interesting. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God. It's the word Elohim, and it's actually in the plural. Wait a minute. What does that mean? It's plural. Genesis 1.26. God says, let us make man. Did you hear that? Let us, plural, in our image, plural. But then in Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verse 4, we have what we call the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. One God, but yet He's three persons. Father, Son, and Spirit. Now, one of the first heresies in the church was called modalism. And so modalism, what they said was, well, there's God's three persons, but He's just them one at a time. He's, he's in one mode at a time. Well, that's a heresy. It's not true. You see that at Jesus' baptism. So in Mark chapter 1, verse uh, 10 and 11, it says that Jesus was being baptized. It said the Spirit descended upon on Him like a dove. So you have Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. Then you hear a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. So you have all three. And so as Christians, when we're given the Great Commission in Matthew 28, then we're also told to baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, but He reveals Himself three persons. All God, all equal, all attributes the same. But there's three. There's a third thing. It's foundational attribute, and that is this. God doesn't change. God doesn't change. We need to get this down. You need to realize that God is immutable. He does not change. Here's what it says in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. It says, For I am the Lord. I do not change. God's character does not change. God is the same. That's how come the Bible tells us throughout the New Testament, God is faithful. So when God delivers a promise, when God speaks principles, when God gives us His Word, you can count on it. And you know why you can count it? Because God doesn't change. He is the same. His attributes are always the same. So as we go through the rest of these attributes, you can bank on this. These things are true of God. They've always been true of God. They always will be true of God. He doesn't change. You and I change. We change our minds. Some of you really do change your mind a lot. Some of us, we're a lot different now than we were 10 years ago. Some of us are really aged. God is always the same. He does not change. And that's something that we take a lot of encouragement in. We need to be able to hear it. This world, there's not a lot of hope, but there isn't a God that doesn't change. That's where our hope is found. And so those are foundational attributes. Let's build upon them, and let's look at some natural attributes. These are some things that you can just be able to see in nature. 
And as you just began to comprehend and think about God. So some natural attributes. So let's look at those. First, God is omnipotent. That's a Latin word. Basically, it just means this. He's just all-powerful. Omni means all. All-powerful. God is all-powerful. He has all power. That's why in Psalms 33, verse 6, it says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, all the host of them, by the breath of His mouth. God just spoke, and it happened. In the beginning, God... He created. And that word created means out of nothing. Now listen, it's one thing to take a lump of clay and make something. God created out of nothing. See, scientists will tell you, to have something, you at least got to start with some type of matter. God created out of nothing. He's all-powerful. In Genesis chapter 18, verse 14, Here's the setting. Sarah, Abraham, they've been looking for a baby. All of a sudden, an angel appears to them. Sarah's well past age. She's 89. Sarah's give up hope that she's ever be a mom. An angel said, uh, you're getting ready to be a mom. At least that's what he tells Abraham. And Sarah, she's like, what? And the angel says, is there anything that's too hard for God? Nothing. There's nothing too hard for God because He is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. In Luke chapter 1, verse 37, teenage girl, Mary, she's told, you're going to have a baby. She's like, well, I've never been with a man. The angel said, you're going to have a baby, God's baby. She said, how can a virgin give birth? And he said this, there's nothing that's impossible with God. He is omnipotent. Here's what Jeremiah said. Jeremiah 32, verse 70 said, All God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth, and by your great power and outstretched arm, you've done it. God is just all-powerful in all things that He does. Not only is He all-powerful, but God is omniscient. And here's what it means. It just means that God knows everything. He knows everything. Whenever I think about the attributes of God, one of the passages of Scripture that always comes to my mind, and it's really one of my favorite chapters in the Bible because it lets us know about God. And that is Psalm 139. Psalm 139. So here's what uh, the psalmist said. This is, uh, I'm going to just pick up verse, verse uh, 2. Psalm 139. Here's what it said. Lord... You know my setting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. So basically, here's what the psalmist said. Lord, you know every single thing there is to know about me. When I get up, when I lay down, and everything that happens throughout the day, and you know me so well that you, you even know my thoughts. That's kind of scary. What if people could read your mind? Well, let me tell you something. God knows your thoughts. Basically, in John chapter 2, verse 25, that's what it says about Jesus. He knew the heart of individuals. He knew what they were thinking, what was going on in their minds. And God knows all about you. 
And because He knows your thoughts, and because He knows your past, and because He knows your future, the truth of the matter is, God knows you better than you know yourself. And that's the truth. He is all-knowing. Not only is He all-knowing, but God is also what we call omnipresent. And that means that God is everywhere. There is nowhere that God isn't. And so, once again, in Psalm 139, let me just pick up with you at verse 7. Here's what he says. He said, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness will fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. In other words, there's nowhere I can go that God is not there. He's everywhere. He's all present Psalm 121 reminds us this. God never slumbers or sleeps. So He's... You know what that means? That means God is always on the job. He's always available because He's God. C.S. Lewis said it like this. Somebody asked Him once, they said, can God hear a hundred million prayers at one time? And here's what C.S. Lewis said. God has infinite attention to space each one of us. He does not deal with us in the mass. You are as much along with Him as if you were the only being He had ever created. And so, in other words, C.S. Lewis says, you may be a bunch of us here today, but with God, He can center specifically on you. And it's as if you're the only one. Because, see, He's everywhere. He's all-knowing. So therefore, being God, He can handle, if everybody prayed at one time, He can hear it. Because He's God. So those are the natural attributes of God. And when we stop and we just think about it, we can see it. By the way, as far as God having these attributes, you can't have a building unless there's a builder. And you certainly can't have the beautiful scenes of nature without a Creator. And this is one of my favorite times of year. Leaves start changing. You start looking up on the mountains, the trees. It's beautiful. Always reminds me, there's a Creator. God has natural attributes. Now let's move down to this. God has some personal attributes. Let's just take a look at these for just a moment. Personal attributes of God. God is holy. What does it mean to be holy? When Isaiah, in chapter 6, gets a glimpse of God in His presence. When you're in God's presence and see His holiness, how do you think you would respond? Here's a man of God. Here's a prophet of God that speaks for God. Here's a fellow that if anybody was righteous, he'd be. And here's what he says, woe is me. Woe is me. I'm in trouble. God is so holy. Holy means he's perfect. He's right. 
He's righteous. When Moses came into his presence, he said, Moses, take your shoes off. You're standing on holy ground. Habakkuk, when he was praying to God, he said, God, you are of pure eyes. And your eyes are too pure, basically, to behold evil, to be in the presence of wickedness. God is holy. It's who He is. He's holy God. And He calls us because He's holy to be holy. God is not just holy. He's just. I did a devotional early this week, and I quoted Thomas Jefferson because Thomas Jefferson said this, when I tremble for my country, when I reflect that God is just and that His justice cannot sleep forever. And so Thomas Jefferson said, when I realize and think about and contemplate how just God is, it's scary. Can America escape judgment? There's a lot of judgments going to come our way that we can't escape. It's too late to escape for the evils that we've done. All the unborn children that have been killed, all the injustice that has already taken place, judgment will come. But, if we're willing to repent, if we're willing to turn to God as a nation, there is some hope. It doesn't mean it's too late for America to exist. That time's not come just yet. But it's getting close. And it is important that we repent. God is just. If God is just, then that means that God has to bring about justice. Now let me also say this. The world's not just. The government's not just. People are not just. God is just. And one day judgment will take place and justice will happen. And here's another trait about God. God is love. In Sunday school, they've been studying in 1 John, and in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, it says this, God is love. And some people get so happy about that. And they say, okay, that, God being love, that kind of cancels out everything else. Well, no, it doesn't. Remember what we said? God doesn't change. And so God is holy and God is just, and that will never change. And so God is love. But His love doesn't cancel out His justice or His holiness. So, how does that help us? You need to understand the cross and Jesus coming to the earth. The reason He came is because all three of these things are true. God is holy, God is just, and God is love. Your sins could not be paid for by you. Justice had to be served. And the only way that could happen is through Jesus and His death upon the cross. And so Jesus being holy, He was the one that was able to be the sacrifice to die upon the cross to pay for our sin. And He did so because He loves us. Because all these things that we we know about God, God is personal. And so he reveals himself. When Isaiah is talking to these people, he's letting them know, you know, God's personal. He's concerned about you and what you believe. And there needs to be some change. Isaiah calls people to stop and to think. What you're worshiping is not me. 
What you're calling God is not me. You need to stop and think and realize who I am. If you go back and read chapter 45 of Isaiah, you know what you'll see? God says, I'm God. There is no other. He says it over and over again. I'm God. There's no other. I'm the one you're going to stand before one day. I'm the creator. I'm the one you're going to answer to. You better get it. you got to know who I am. Once you understand who God is, it'll change everything. It changes the way you think. It changes how you act. It changes who you are. And so today, as we stop and reconsider the attributes of God, we realize there's people that need to make a decision. Because there's some people, they need to be able to say, Lord, I need forgiveness of sin. If I stand before you, I'm not ready. If death comes knocking now, I'm not prepared. There's some people today, you may be a Christian, but you've not been living like God is your God. You've not been worshiping and honoring Him. And today, you need to be able to come and say, Lord, forgive me. I've been trying to order you around and not follow you, not submit to you, not follow your commands. So today, we've got people that need to come and rededicate themselves. Let's take a moment. Let's have prayer. Lord, thank you so much again for letting us come this morning to be able to hear simple truths. Truths that are about you. And Lord, I know that there's so much more that could be said. But Lord, may you help us to deal with what has been said. What we do know here. And may it change our lives. Thank you, Lord in spite of the fact that we have turned against you. Thank you that you love us and you've made a way through your Son, Jesus Christ. Today, may people find forgiveness, hope, and peace through Him. I just pray for your blessings. May you minister during this time. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.